Hello, thank you for joining us. It's another weekly episode of Friendly Reminder. It's your friendly reminder of what's going on around the world, in our lives, and everything in between. My name is Gus, and I'll be your host. And joining me today are my dear friends. Daniel, how are you today? Good, Gus. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well, thank you. Sam, how are you? I am doing amazing. Thank you for asking. Always so wonderful to hear. Thank you. And back in our program, Totes, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, my house is warm, which is a nice feeling comparatively from last <laughs> week. So I'm able to wear a short sleeve shirt today and not five layers of clothing. <laughs> so doing <Wonderful>. great. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're warm and I'm glad that you're safe. Um, you know, just to set up a little bit of a preview, Totes, um, it's safe to call you a movie buff, right? Yes, it's safe to call me a movie buff. You know, Perfect. don't go, and, you know, don't go call me an experienced movie critic, but I love the movies. Know, <laughs> long-time movie critic, published movie critic. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we've been wanting to have a conversation about the future of movies, uh, the movie industry, movie theaters, streaming services as a whole for quite a while. Uh, in fact, we wanted to have that conversation in early January, and you know, democracy almost exploded back then. So we kind of had to focus on that. So uh, priorities, I, of course. <laughs> So, you know, we love having you for all kinds of topics, but thank you so much for coming back so we can have this conversation at the end of the episode. But let's get started with our main topic, um, because we're going to talk about the situation in Texas. You know, we were we were off for a week. Uh, we were recording a gaming podcast. Um, Fuck, I forgot to save is the, the name of the podcast, if you want to check that out. But during that whole time... Um, something happened, something strange uh, happened in Texas. And I don't know if all of our listeners know this, but this is basically a Texas-based podcast. Uh, all three uh, of the main members are uh, located in Texas. Totes, you're also in Texas. Um, and about, what was it, guys, like a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, uh, Texas got hit with a major uh, winter storm. Um most, pretty much all of Texas got, got hit with this storm. We all live in different Texas cities, um, and we all got hit in one way or another. Uh, and that caused a whole lot, lot of problem. A lot of uh, um, power equipment was frozen over. Uh, people were obviously, you know, turning on their heaters, uh, upping their electricity usage. And this caused power outages uh, all across the state. Um, it caused issue with uh, water sh uh, shortages. Um, it, it was just a mess. People were living in, inside their homes in, in frozen conditions, trying to stay warm. Um, uh, grocery stores were swamped and depleted of all their goods. It, it was something that we... <laughs> I don't want to say it's unprecedented because it's starting to be a little bit more precedented now over the last couple of uh, uh, the last decade or so. Uh, but it's not something you see at least very often. And we all got impacted one way or another. So before we, I think, you I know, think start like talking, 80, 70 something people died. It's it's insane. Uh, yeah. And, and a, literally about a lot of some people just froze to death in their homes because they didn't have because their homes were not adequately heated because they did not have power and yeah. some people died because they were trying to keep themselves warm in their cars mm -hmm. yeah it, but their garage it was... door closed it was definitely a reminder of you know don't put don't start your car in the garage uh not that i needed the reminder but 
I don't know, when you're desperate, sometimes logic goes a bit out the window, which I think is. I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah, you must, it must have been so we we had friends that actually spent the night in their car, not, you know, uh, thankfully, they knew not to leave it in the garage, but they they were in the car. And, and we did not know this at the time, or else we would have had them over to our place where we had power and, and heat. And we had a couple of different families come stay with us. And we felt so bad afterwards, but they ended up staying in a car two nights with their you know, a daughter who's only a few months old. And I, mm-hmm. it shocked me. And it just, it's very, uh, I mean, it, it, it's sort of uh, trite to talk about how America is, is, is reaching like these, o- these overlapping cascades of disasters. Um, and, and then how one party completely denies that the disasters are happening <laughs> that as they are happening, uh, which we can talk about too. But it's it's just amazing and it wasn't even i mean it was an unprecedented freeze but this kind of freeze has happened before uh you know that that sounds weird because i just said unprecedented and happened before but there was a a less serious freeze that caused rolling blackouts i think uh about a decade ago Mm -hmm. um for very similar reasons yeah across the texas uh grid for very similar reasons um and the texas grid is so privatized and 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 so run towards an eye to uh the profitability of the individual market participants and their ability to i guess prepare as uh needed that uh they just didn't did not make the adjustments that they needed to make uh because they were like well you know market participants will make those adjustments uh not not really considering that, hey, maybe market participants are more, f- more focused on short-term profitability than the stability of the entire uh, Texas electrical system. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what caused this uh, as well as the response to this. But before I do, this is like the unique situation where we actually um, uh, at least some of us experienced this firsthand and we were affected by it directly. Uh, so we, before we get to a conversation at large, I want to just go through each of all three of you, because I actually escaped fairly unscathed, but all three of you were affected in different ways. So I just wanted to hear from you, just whatever personal stories you want to share from this experience. Totes, I always like to start with our guests. So um, if you want to go ahead and just share some of what you went through that during that week. Um. It was a really bad week. I mean, I think I ha- I've said this to a few people, but I think it's definitely been was the worst week for me during the entire pandemic. Th- but I mean, thankfully, I haven't been affected. I have not had COVID nineteen. You know, like, I've had a fairly fairly calm pandemic in that I stay primarily at my home. My my home is my safe haven, and it was taken away from me uh, for almost a whole week. It and you know, having your house be 40 degrees um, and not having any source of warmth. And, you know, like it was, it was a bit traumatizing, I'll say. Like, it's it's definitely, you know, the way I, I've been putting it is like, it's definitely put things in perspective for me. I will always, always, and not that I wasn't before, but I will always have a bit more, um, be, be, be a bit more grateful for heat and air conditioning and the ability to have it in the house. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, like, it feels like you can't escape it. You're so cold like you just you're so terribly cold um you know you're trying to to not think about being cold it's not it's it's uncomfortable to eat it's uncomfortable to move um it's just 
you're just uncomfortable. It's uh, it's not, it's just not something that the the human body it feels like can go through normally. I don't know how people live and how people lived, you know, like back in the pioneering days, like without, you know, like with, without air, uh, heat and air conditioning. I'm really grateful for the time that I've been alive. But yeah, we didn't. It was, you know, our your home being 40 degrees is rough, and our pipes bursted in multiple places. Um, you know, and then that, to me, that was one of the worst parts because when your pipes when I pipes bursted and the water was just like flushing down from our ceiling um the water's freezing cold and your house is freezing cold and you're cold and you're getting wet and your house is wet and you're having to take out all this water and it was just it was probably I don't know it's probably the saddest I've ever looked because I'm literally scary too I mean how fast does that situation turn downhill when you're wet and freezing and unable to get warm I don't know. Um, it was, I, I feel like, to, I mean, thankfully for us, like we're, we're younger, yeah, we were able to act very quickly and get rid of the water as fast as possible, but it was just, it was bad. Um, it's, not, it's not something I've experienced before. I grew up in the desert. I'm not used to cold climate. Um, it's not something that, I, I'm not the kind of person that goes and frolics in the snow, even on good days. Like, I'm just not that kind of person. I don't like snowball fights. Like, I'm just not, I'm not a snow person. Yeah. And so to me, it was, it was made worse because, um, you know, I, you know, seeing so many people enjoy the snow, I have never enjoyed it. And it was made worse by the fact that I didn't have like a safe place to like get warm afterwards. <laughs> so everything's good now. I'm very grateful for that. I have a lot of, a lot of great people um, and specialists that came and helped us with our house. Um, but, and I know that we had it very easy comparatively. Some people had it much worse. There was loss of life, like, um, you know, was mentioned previously. But, you know, others went completely unscathed and I'm, and I'm a bit jealous. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, you actually made a really good point that I didn't think about where it's it's, you know, during this entire pandemic, our home is, you know, our safe space. That's what we've been told. Stay home. That's where you're the safest. Uh, avoid going out. If, if you can work from home, work from home. There and there were people that were working from home during when these conditions hit. Now all of a sudden they have no power. And how, how are they possibly expected to work? They're, they're just trying to keep everything together. So it was just one thing on top of the other. Um, again, glad you're safe. Glad that at the, at the very end, you were able to resolve the issues and you're, you're warm now. Uh, Sam, what about you? What, what kind of situation did you go through? So um, on Sunday night, we had our weekly Dungeons and Dragons uh, session. And during that, it started to snow at my house. And um, when we finished, I was the one who got kind of warmly dressed and went outside. And um, I feel a bit ashamed saying this now, but I very much enjoyed the snow. Um, I made the snow angel on my back, a 34-year-old man. Why would you feel ashamed? You should, you should never feel ashamed for for I, I, most people should enjoy it. I am abnormal yeah, what on for earth? not enjoying the snow. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, people got hurt and you know died. I don't know. It just feels weird to. Anyway, um, so my power, luckily through D and D, because it was my time of uh, dungeon mastering it. My power stayed on, but right after, pretty much, it went off. So um, I just put on a sweater and put on some 
some sweatpants and put another blanket on my bed and fell asleep and I was fine. And I had my uh, little dog Ace with me and he, he was able to keep warm. Um, and then in the morning I had to drive to work. I don't know how high the snow was. I bet it was only a couple of inches, but I had to drive to work in, in with that. And I work at a hospital and, and I'm an IT. So no one else was able to come in. So I was there all by myself and the heat wasn't working. So that wasn't, I mean, the power was on wow. because I guess it was connected to the hospital, but there was no heat. It was like 40 degrees. That sounds so dystopian. <laughs> this is a hospital. Like, did you have any idea how it affected uh, patients in the hospital? Did, did you get any notification on that? Well, uh, when I went into the hospital, it was it was a bit warmer, but I mean, it was still it was still very cold. Um, wow. I don't I don't work directly with patients. I don't talk to them directly most of the time, except if I'm like fixing a computer or in the in their rooms or something, but. Yeah, I'm sure it was very uncomfortable for them because they're always cold. And they have like those thin blankets, you know, and I don't know how they. Yeah, hospitals are always cold, like always yeah. cold. Um, and then I found out uh, yesterday, actually, that um, when I was upgrading the computers in the cafeteria, that they didn't have any food because of the, cause the snowstorm pretty much blocked all their food. So they had to like just serve sandwiches for the for the rest of the week. Um, and then I went home early and still had no power. I was like, well, I can't do anything. Can't play video games. I can't do anything. So I'll just go to sleep. How long were you without power? Do you know? Or do you remember? Um, it kept, I mean, most of the time it kept going on and off for about five minutes. Well, let me say, let me say that it was on for about five minutes or maybe less than probably less now, like a minute or something and then it would go off and then back on and then you know so on and so forth yeah wow. it's not enough to keep the house warm i do anything yeah so i slept um and then 30 minutes later my roommate come home and he's like sam you have a burst pipe in the laundry room and i was like what and this was still when the hot like when the front yard and the backyard was covered in snow so we had to find the water turnoff switch which in most places is in front of the house, but we didn't know this. It was in the back of the house. So it took us about 30 minutes. And by the way, this is like, there's not a lot of important stuff in the laundry room, but there's a washer and a dryer and electricity. Mm -hmm. So we had to be very, I mean, the power kept going in and off, but we didn't know when it would come back on. So we tried to, you know, be very careful in unplugging things, but it took us forever to find the turnoff switch. Yeah. I had to sweep away the snow because I didn't have like a rake or anything to find it. And then, um, that, that, I mean, that's pretty much my exciting story. The rest of the week, I stayed at my parents, who luckily had a gas heater and a gas stove, so we were able to eat pretty normally, I guess. Um, but your, yeah, your parents didn't have power though. Yeah, they didn't have power. Um. Oh wow! So we played For like board days? games and what? For how many days? Um, maybe a couple, and then the power came on for almost the whole day, and then it turned back off at night. Yeah, Yours, but that's what I heard from a lot of people. It was going on and off. Your yeah. gas heater was still working, though. That's nice, right? 
I don't know. How well, my, my parents, I guess. Yeah, that's what I meant yeah. to say. I don't yeah. know how some of that stuff works. I, I am a first time homeowner. I don't like that. I think that was like the most like, <laughs> like I'm like, whenever you know, turning off the water, I'm like, I don't know where it was. Like I, it, I was the same, same experience that you went through. Sam. I'm like, where, where do you go? What do you do? What, what has to happen to, to go so through this? So my understanding is the natural gas heaters work on the same system of natural gas delivery as the electrical power. So you're still, it's still susceptible to getting the same kind of shocks that the electrical system is. So that's why people lost heating. Some people I was going to say, because I have a gas heater heating. and mine didn't work, but I yeah. have no, yeah. I don't know enough about, I don't know enough about heaters to. Not, to neither do I. I'm kind of speculating. And, and from what I was able to discern. Uh, I'm sorry. I meant to say, um, the 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 water thing was gas so it was the water was be able to kept keeping kept hot so oh I'm sorry about that. yeah i miss yeah. i miss um i remember that or whatever but yeah, yeah other than that i i went to work as regularly as possible during that week and if, if we didn't have power i played you know cribbage or backgammon or chess with my family and that's good. I mean, I'm glad you were able to at least be with your family and and spend not be alone or not just be with your roommate. Um, uh, hopefully, you know the you all fought, found comfort in that because uh, it's it's good to to be around loved ones at least and just try to entertain each other and just try to get to, through it together. So, thank you for sharing that, Sam. Daniel, what about you? Um, again, we're all in different Texas cities, by the way. I do want to stress the point. So it's not like we're all uh, in the same city together and we just experienced this. This is all across Texas. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Texas not a small state at all. Uh, so Daniel, what what did you go through? Yeah, so I I was you know I will say I was extraordinarily lucky, um, and a lot of people suffered worse than I did. Um, I will say that uh, you know like. Uh, many first days of snow we we tremendously enjoyed that first day we took my son out um and he saw his first snow and he got to crawl around in it so that was a lot of fun um and you know i used to live in new york so i totally understand the idea of like that first snow it's amazing you love it but then very quickly it gets very inconvenient for everybody <laughs> and that's that's kind of what happened this time um so we didn't we never lost power for like a long period of time and i think that's because we live pretty near a hospital so we were probably on a grid that was like prioritized uh which is pretty which is uh very fortunate and we were able to have um, a number of people we knew pretty much everybody we knew in the city lost power uh, for for a long time um for for multiple days in a row um and you know maybe they would get it back for a little while but then they would lose it again um so we had uh different people come and and different families come and, and stay in our place uh, with COVID and everything. We, we did social distancing and masks to the extent we could, but you know, that was obviously a challenge. Um, so that was, you know, not, not so bad. It was a little stressful because I was, I was expected to work. I was working from home and my wife uh, didn't go in, but she was also expected to work from home. So we were doing that. Um, we're extraordinarily privileged to have a wonderful nanny um, who was, who lost, power and water for like a week straight so we so she she did not end because the roads were dangerous the entire time and she lives far enough away that would cause an issue she didn't come in the entire week so and and i'm not and i'm not saying like oh we were so unfortunate like we had to work and take care of my child at the same time plus deal with the power pure like you know we didn't lose power for a long time but periodically it would go out and then we'd freak out and you know wonder if it would come back on 
you know, our cell phones weren't working. The internet was really spotty. Um, it was, it was a tough situation. We also lost, you know, pretty much after the first day we lost water pressure. And, um, uh, luckily, you know, my wife was, had enough foresight, uh, from dealing with hurricanes that we had, uh, enough drinking water, uh, for probably like a week and enough, um, and we filled the uh, bathtubs up with with water, so we'd have water to flush the toilets. Which, hey, in a disaster, the, you'd be amazed how great it is to be able to use a toilet and flush it. <laughs> because when you're in a situation where you can't, it causes a tremendous amount of anxiety on top of your already anxious self. Uh, so we were lucky in that respect, but you know, it wasn't exactly like uh, for you know we were going to the bathroom and then like taking water in cups from like a bathtub into the toilets in order to flush it. It was, it was a pretty miserable experience um, all around. You know, we, we weren't able to shower for days. Um, I was pretty much in order to conserve drinking, drinking water for my uh, family. I was drinking the other stuff we had, which was like Gatorade and diet Dr. Pepper. So I was going a little bit nuts because that, stuff is not really good to drink instead of drinking water. I'll put that out there. Um, yeah, that was pretty much my situation. Like I said, it wasn't, uh, I did not have the hardest time. The hardest part for me was just working all week while taking care of my child and dealing with all this other stuff that came up. But, you know, so many people were put out so much more. Like I can't even imagine losing power for days on end and, and not, you know, it not coming on. And at the, at, at that moment, we were not sure, People were not sure how long these blackouts would go. We were hearing different things at different levels. Some some people from ERCOT were saying it could be a month before everything got back to normal, which was which was insane. Yeah. Um, so people were were very scared. Uh, we didn't yeah. have to deal so much with the cold because, like I said, we never we never lost power, and we were very fortunate. We were probably the one of the only families that didn't have a burst pipe that we know of. Uh, so we were extraordinarily fortunate on that end. Um, but, you know, I'm still a little paranoid that there's leaks that we just haven't discovered that was caused yeah. by the freezing. But I forgot to mention the one thing that was like the worst part, because we also we did have a lot of stored water so that way we could flush our toilets and such. I was like, but man, going to the bathroom and having to pull down your pants because <laughs> we don't have long johns. <laughs> and when your house is like 38 degrees it was the worst thing I've ever done to you. <laughs> I'm like, now I understand why people in cold places have long johns and that flap. <laughs> I do not have any clothes like that. <laughs> it is primarily over 80 degrees in the state, part of the state of Texas I live in for the majority of the year. <laughs> so no need for me to buy that clothing. <laughs> and one one thing I kept thinking of, because I'm a huge nerd and I was reading a book about the Russian Revolution, um, I kept thinking about how the compares, like the the sheer inhuman cold that people were experiencing was, I mean, maybe this is a bad comparison, but the descriptions of the cold that Russian soldiers felt during, during uh, World War II was like inhuman and drove them often to do insane inhuman things and that's that's the best way i can just talk about like what <laughs> how it is when a society is able to make their citizen like suffer that way for multiple days in a row and not really even i mean there's not going to be any sort of consequences from this like rick perry was like oh yeah texans are fine they're willing to do this to keep the feds out of their market ted cruz was like yeah we could just 
uh, you know, um, Texans are good, and and uh, this is the Green New Deal's fault, and um, I'm going to Cancun. So it it's just it, it's alarming because it makes you historically making your citizens suffer like this, or at least being indifferent to their suffering, presaged violent revolutions. <laughs> and in America, it's it's basically one party pretending it's kind of not happening and blaming explicably blaming the green new deal um so I, I don't even know what to say about that so in the in the hospital systems um when there is an emergency this this giant they call it a code gray or a code a code white which means that the people that are working cannot leave until their replacements come in and sometimes people have had to like reset like I don't know about other hospitals, but in in the hospital that I work at, they've had to sleep where they where they work. And people brought they have air mattresses that they sleep in their offices. And some people have been on call for like more than forty eight hours. They couldn't leave because the person that was supposed to replace them wasn't able to come in. Wow. Yeah. That's uh. That yeah, that sounds dystopian. That sounds horrific. That sounds um, not something that you would imagine when people talk about America as the richest country in the world. Um, again, different cities were, were affected in in different ways. Uh, Austin is often seen as a very idyllic city uh, by a lot of Texans. Uh, you know, it's oh, it's it's the hottest place for young professionals to move to. Uh, Elon Musk moved there. Uh, there's big companies like Apple, Indeed, um, Dell, IBM uh, that that have big offices there that city was brought to its knees by by this this uh this storm and there were people that did not have um drinkable water um that they had to they were on the boil notice for for days uh, more than a week or at least a week um like the, they didn't have electricity. Uh, they didn't have heat and power. Uh, a lot of HEBs, which is the popular grocery store uh, across all of Texas, you saw long lines. That, that again, it looks like what you would imagine from a third world country. And then this is supposed to be in in some of the most uh, um, richest and and fortunate cities here in the United States. Again, cities like Austin, cities like Dallas, cities like Houston, cities like San Antonio were all affected in, in very dramatic ways. Uh, I believe the total amount of people that lost power is around 4.5 million people. Um, and again, yeah, there's there's at least over 50 people dead um, because of this, this situation. So let's talk about you know the response uh, to this and and why this happened because uh, I say that I wasn't affected by this and I am very grateful but it also wasn't just a coincidence one of the reasons I'm not affected is because I'm in one of the cities in Texas that is actually not on the ERCOT grid um, ERCOT I believe stands for Electric Reliability Council of Texas um, which is nice name they have going to uh, they have going there. Uh, but one of the one of the issues uh, that that occurred is because in order in order to avoid federal regulation, when situations like these happens, what what ERCOT cannot do is they cannot go to other grids um, and and essentially borrow or transfer power uh, into into theirs. Uh, and they were overwhelmed, and millions and millions of people lost their lost power, and some people lost their lives. And yes, Daniel already mentioned it, but you saw a Republican response to it that was really insulting. 
um, Greg Abbott said, oh, this, this is what happens when you embrace the Green New Deal, which what the hell are you talking about, Greg? Uh, last I checked, uh, um, AOC is not in charge of Texas. She is not our governor. She <laughs> came down and helped us out, and we appreciate that. Um, you know, Beto is not our senator. He lost. Uh, our senator is Ted Cruz, who decided to take a trip out to Cancun while Beto was was making uh, phone calls and and um, building up a phone call to, to reach out to people. Uh, Rick Perry mentioned uh, that line where, oh, Texans are willing to put up with it so long as it means that the feds are, are not going to be in the marketplace, which I'm going to go ahead and speak for myself as a Texan. You're a lunatic, Rick Perry. I'm not going to go through that bullshit he just so I can fulfill your fantasy that the feds aren't going to regulate the power market. He meant that the energy companies need to keep their profits up. So the, the, that's, yeah. that is really what he meant. So that they need to, uh, because federal regulation might affect their profits. So they can't. And they call this, this uh, delusional term, they call this energy independence. <laughs> because we were able to not get energy from other countries when we needed yeah. it, from other states when we needed it, from uh, from the other interchanges, uh, which cover multiple states. Um it's like were as you if, guys feeling were you guys feeling the freedom course through your veins during right, this whole it's like situation? Calling, it, calling us food independent totally. and growing <laughs> growing only beans in Texas. And then when the beans all die because of a crop issue, we all starve. And it's like, well, we were independent. We were food independent. It's great. Yeah. Um, and there was also situations where um certain people that were because again the, the, the i'm not an expert on this but the, the market in texas the power market is deregulated to the point where people can can go to different providers and some of them uh, can go into variable rates uh so some of their um some of the people that uh were in in these kinds of uh programs uh, they're the power outage they were prioritized so the power that some of them did still have power but then they got electricity bills that were like nine thousand dollars up to upwards to sixteen thousand dollars uh and this is all from what i understand legal under this system because of the way it's structured via deregulation so even those that did not lose power uh, because of the way the system is structured they had to face consequences or maybe not um, i don't know maybe maybe they'll be people will uh, interfere and and uh, allow them not to pay those astronomical pr prices but as of yet the, you know they they've been billed what they've been billed and it's absurd well i was going to say the republican the like big joke oh they're blaming the green new deal but the problem is is as these weather events get worse and they do nothing like the green new deal to improve our infrastructure <laughs> this is just going to keep happening over and over again like we the freeze was unprecedented but we've been dealing with un for the last 5 years we've been dealing with unprecedented weather events over and over and over again you know 2020 uh i believe or the last couple of years saw, saw huge upticks in the number of hurricanes we've been having um, the four, the fires worldwide have been up <laughs> like this is going to keep happening. So it's yeah. not a one off and they're using their propaganda to literally do the opposite and say, we don't need these infrastructure improvements because they're socialism and they're going to take us all out. Or, or they were they were the ones at fault. It was the wind turbines that that caused the situation. <laughs> when uh, even ERCOT confirmed that wind turbines were responsible for about thirteen percent of of the loss uh, 
uh, output. Uh, again, this is Texas. We rely heavily on on uh, gas and natural uh, natural resources. Like this 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 is not some liberal bastion. Uh, this is not California. This is not New York. Uh, they may have their own issues, true, but uh, here in Texas, uh, it's absolutely absurd to think that what what the issue. He- is here is the Green New Deal, mm-hmm. and it's it's leftists being in charge. Greg Abbott was has been in charge for a while, and before that, it was Rick Perry, and before that, it was George Bush. So, <laughs> I mean, come on, guys, let's let's be real here. I would say, or what I would think, is that in any reasonable landscape or le- reasonable nation, we would look at this and we should see it as a destruction of an entire worldview, right? as if the pandemic wasn't already, that this worldview that somehow unregulated capitalism, deregulation, uh, libertarianism uh, is is going to resolve every single issue just by the innovation being brought about the free market. I I remember explicitly people saying that we were going to innovate ourselves out of the problem of extreme weather events, the exact thing that keeps screwing up our infrastructure right now. Yeah. Uh, these systems are not meant for this. That capitalism was not built to for a pandemic to to uh, uh, occur across the globe. It wasn't going to find some innovative solution uh, right off the bat. Not not before uh, you know thousands and thousands and thousands of people would die and many would get sick. Um, it's it's not possible. And I think one of the in terms of the Republican responses that we went through, um, I know that there was a lot of. Um, Outrage regarding the Ted Cruz situation, rightfully so, because he's a fucking um, piece of shit human being that doesn't care about a single constituent of his. Uh, But I think the one that was really the most insightful was the Rick Perry one. Because, you know, Greg Abbott, he's just coming up with excuses. Ted Cruz is just a piece of shit human being that doesn't care and wanted to, to leave Texas to go to a warmer climate. But Rick Perry actually said what conservatives really believe, that, well... Uh, this this just happens, you know. This is the consequence of deregulation. This is the consequence of our philosophy. You just have to deal with it. There's no solution to it. Uh, it is what it is, right? We heard that from Trump when when the pandemic hit. It is what it is. You know, thousands of people die, but we have you know we have to open businesses. We have to get out there because capitalism isn't built to protect people during these uh, circumstances, and. That's not a solution. That's not the right solution a reasonable country should have. Um, And if you want to start going down the path of figuring out the solution, I'm with you. I'm right there with you. But how do you how do you come to a solution? Well, you probably start with finding the things that don't work. And we've seen this happen over and over again. We've seen this happen in the forest fires in uh, in the West. We've seen this happen in hurricanes hitting us in the Gulf Coast. We've seen this happen with the pandemic that's affecting us globally. We're seeing it happen now with this Texas freeze. It's not working. So if you want to find the solution, then fine. Well, you want to take the things that aren't working, the useless things, and you throw them in the trash because that's where it belongs. Useless garbage belongs in the trash. So let's start there and then let's move on. So you're saying we're putting Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott and Rick Perry and all the Republicans in the trash? Their philosophy, their, their philosophy, throw it in the trash. And look, I'll throw them a bone. In this metaphor, they don't even have to recycle because I don't want to see these ideas coming back in any way ever again. So there you go. That was funny.
Anyways, that's our Texas conversation. I want to, you know, just really, really say that I'm so grateful you guys are all okay. Uh, after all you went through, I know, you know, people did go through worse and, and that's horrible. Uh, but you guys had it rough. And, and uh, there was a lot of guilt that, that I faced on my way when, when everything was okay here. Um, I, in my head, just to deal with the guilt, because this is what I do, I kept thinking about that Three Amigos scene where they're they're all in the desert and horseback and they they're all thirsty and Steve Martin's character like he grabs his canteen and drinks like tries to t drink water and it's just like droplets and then Martin Short's character tries to take a drink and it's just sand like in the face uh, like landing on his face and then Chevy Chase's character like takes a, a gulp of water and just like comes pouring out and he's just like <laughs> wasting it like it's just going all over his face and he's using it to like swish water around his mouth and spit it out and then he just throws like half of it and like throws away half of it and then you just see it pouring out and Steve Martin and Martin Short are just like looking at him and he's putting on lip balm and looks at them and like, oh, you guys want some lip balm? <laughs> That's how I felt during this whole situation. I was like, are you guys okay? Like. <laughs> you want me? Do you want me to send you some moist towelettes? Um, I know. It was again, one of those things. I wish I could have gone over and been in the comfort with you, but sadly, you were too far. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish the same thing again. I I just joked about this out of guilt because it was hard seeing so many loved ones go through this tough situation. But I'm glad you're all okay. So let's move on to something of a bit of an algamation of things that we want to talk about. Um, because when Joe Biden became president, and even when he was elected, uh, myself, and I think we've had this discussion on the podcast uh, several times before, we had to kind of like mentally prepare for what the Joe Biden administration was and what, what it would look like with Democrats in power in different ways. Because we're, we're all in different ends of the political spectrum. Uh, all pretty going from liberal to leftist, more or less. Like we're not, there's no right wingers here. Uh, we're, but we're all not, not all like we don't all have the same political ideologies. But we all pretty much agree that Joe Biden and a lot of Democrats are more moderate than we are. Uh, and there were, you know, there were going to be issues eventually. I want to say that the Joe Biden administration started off fairly well. It looks like he was putting in a lot of positive executive orders, overturning a lot of the damage that uh, Trump did in the last four years. To me, the stimulus bill seems like a, a good package. I was even surprised that he supported the $15 minimum wage increase right off the bat. Um, all that seemed positive. But I want to say over the last couple of two weeks, maybe a week, there's been quite a bit of disappointment coming out of the Joe Biden administration and the Democratic Party as a whole. So just to go over just a couple of things real quick, and then we can kind of have a conversation about this. Um, over the last couple of days, we found out that the parliamentarian um, said no to the minimum wage increase being able to be a part of reconciliation. So it's going to be looks like a remove from the bill once it reaches the Senate. It has pa ha it just passed the House. It's going on to the Senate, but it looks like it's going to lose the, the minimum wage increase. And it passed uh, and the House with, with the minimum wage increase intact. Yes. Yes, it passed with the minimum wage increase because the there's support for that. It's the parliamentarian, specifically in the Senate, that says it cannot be part of the reconciliation because it's not necessarily a budget proposal. Um, so... This can be overridden from what I understand. The, the vice president can actually overwrite the, the parliamentarian. And then in order for that to, to, to um, 
be upheld, uh, it would need, uh, well, in order for that, for the over override to be struck down, it would need all Republicans plus 10 Democrats to vote for it, which I don't think would happen. But the Joe Biden administration already said that they're not going to do that. They're not going to override the parliamentarian. So they're just going to go as is. So that's disappointing. Look, if you if you do a clean minimum wage hike, you're going to face the exact same obstacles you are now, which is to say the moderate senators, uh, Manchin and Cinema, Manchin from West Virginia, Cinema from Arizona, are both going to uh, oppose a $15 minimum wage hike. So what's going to happen is all you're really doing by by not overruling the parliamentarian right now is you're pushing the fight down the road and you're making it a harder fight for you to win because it's not attached to this very popular COVID relief package, like extraordinarily popular, like something yeah. like 75% of people <laughs> want, want this thing to pass. Uh, and and all you're doing is pushing it down the road and allowing it, almost allowing it to be easier to be blocked and compromised with, which may be sort of the, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to read motives into people, but maybe that's what they're kind of looking at. You know, in, in the last couple of months, a lot of uh, Republicans have come out with more moderate minimum wage hike proposals. Um, Manchin himself floated like $11 wage hike just randomly, like during a meeting with the constituent. Um, so I think maybe that's what they're going for. But I, I understand why people are pissed off and people are, are saying, no, you should make this a fight now because it's a fight we're going to have anyway. So let's make it a fight about COVID relief and giving relief to the American people rather than a separate fight about the minimum. And I get that. I get yeah. that people are, are angry about that. Because the, the minimum wage itself, just standalone, is popular. It, it's about, you know, it gains around 60 to 65% uh, in terms of polls. Make that what you will. Uh, but it's not as popular as the COVID relief package as a whole, which is just kind of astronomical. It's like 70, 75% of Americans support it. Um, so I have my doubts. Um, again, maybe the fear is that Mansion and Cinema, who are against the minimum wage increase, would straight up vote no against the entire bill if if it's included in in the package, as you mentioned, Daniel. But I really have my doubts that they would go that far. I think they would lose so much support over that, and I think they would be forced to vote yes. So ha having it in this bill is actually beneficial. Than than uh, again, you made that point. Than than having it a standalone thing. I, I will say, I'm not. <laughs> they can take my mean internet lefty card away. I'm not gonna say like, oh, they're all trying to screw us. Whatever. Uh, maybe they are. Or look, the last minimum wage hike passed under George W. Bush, but it was a Democrat. It was a Democratic. Obviously, the, uh, one thing. Just put, putting this on the side. This is not a both sides conversation. We would not even be having a minimum wage discussion if this was a Republican Congress. So it's there's no both sides to this. All right, sorry, getting back on track for a second. The last time a minimum wage hike passed, it was Democrats, and they did it as part of a of actually an Iraq funding bill, and it was also tied to a massive tax cut for small businesses in order to offset the cost increase. So look, uh, I think it's a little premature to say this is their best shot at passing this um leftists we got to stay angry we got to we have you know the the whole theory behind the sort of leftist politics right now is get get the moderates in and then bash go left and so you stay angry push them left and everything but uh you know the more rational part of my brain is saying it, it, 
this this could this is not dead in the water just because it wasn't attached to this this bill. But I still think we should push them to attach it to keep it attached to this bill, which they can still do. Um, it, that's a, that's a, another point to this that I think leftists make a good point. You know, uh, Democrats, you know, they hide, I don't want to say hide, but they they talk about like, well, the parliamentarian said this, but like, in like trillion dollar military spending deals pass with massive bipartisan support and never get hung up on these little procedural issues. So I think when I think American people are rightfully a little cynical when they see stuff that, oh, happens to benefit them and not like an arms manufacturer gets tripped up and, and has to be softened and 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 can't go through because, oh, it's a technical issue. Um, and I will say if they don't get it passed, uh, Democrats are going to be shit out of luck because the voters do not give a shit about what the parliamentarian said. They don't give a shit about the bird rule and they should not give a shit about those things. So don't Democrats should not be looking to use those as excuses. I agree. Um, I'm I'm even more skeptical than you are in terms of if they don't pass it now, um, is is it not over? Because I mean, if you don't pass it with this, how do you pass it? If if you don't want to kill the filibuster, um, you're not going to get ten Republicans to vote in favor of of increasing the minimum wage by itself. Um, and I mean, what do you use reconciliation next year just just for the minimum wage increase when you know Green is going to say no to it? Um, what do, what do you do? There's, again, the, if we're not going to kill the filibuster, then we're not going to get Republican votes, and we can't use reconciliation because a parliamentarian already said no. What avenue is there? Look, Gus, don't worry about it, okay? There's going to be another pandemic 2.0 or another natural disaster. Mm. They'll be able to put it in something else. Oh, that's <laughs> right. We just need another that, global pandemic. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Did Bernie say that they would try to overrule? I know Bernie speaks out of turn. <laughs> He's never going to toe. Bernie is not a toe the party line kind of guy. Uh, but didn't he say that they would overrule the parliamentarian? I, I mean. He did. Uh, but. Does, don't you need the vice president to do it? So I, 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 but from what I understand, so I don't know what it, you know. I love Bernie, but I'm not sure if it matters what he he thinks in this situation. Um, he's right that we should overwrite them and we should just push it through. And and again, once it passes and the American people realize that, or at least many Americans, including some in, in you know Trump counties, realize that hey, your wages are going to go up. Um, you know that's that. How, People feel that. People feel that, and they feel you know st stimulus payments, and they feel uh, tax uh, child credits, and and all that. So you want to push it as big as you can, because again, my fear is that 2022 comes around. People feel that the Democrats didn't do enough, and we have a Republican Senate and a Republican House majority, and that's it. That that might just be the Joe Biden administration. It's over after that. There's other things though that happened on, on the Democratic side. That's not just that. Um, you guys want to talk about what happened in Syria? Um, I am a, not- We had a, foreign... a great week this week, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fun. Uh, so let's talk about foreign intervention here. The, the, an old friend that we haven't really brought into this podcast <laughs> as of yet. Again, not a foreign policy expert. Uh, from what I understand is that a, Recently, uh, as a matter of a few days, the United States conducted a, a missile strike on an Iranian-backed uh, militia. Um, 
from all reports that I've read so far, which is not many, I'll be transparent about that. Um, it looks like the casualties were uh, militia members. I haven't heard anything about civilian members. Um, and it looks like the reason for this was that there was some strike. Um, uh, they, they conducted some strikes on, on uh, U.S.-backed bases in, in Iraq, something similar to that. So this is just, you know, a good old proportional response to that. Uh, but it also highlights that you can have Trump, you can have Biden, you can have Bush, you can have Obama, um, you can have all that, but we're always going to have this. We're always going to have uh, America, America's intervention across the globe to promote democracy. <laughs> you know, the great democracy that here we don't want to have either if, if our guy doesn't win, but we better even, promote even it. This across is the like, globe. oh, they attacked our bases in Iraq. What were our bases doing in Iraq? Like, what? <laughs> like, why are they yeah. there? Oh, because we invaded the country illegally and have been there for two decades. Weird. So it's, it's kind of like almost my entire life we have been in Iraq. It's just crazy. It's like a, it's a it's an aurora boros. It's a snake that eats itself. We have to defend our bases. Well, why are our bases there? Well, because we invaded this country <laughs> and so we built a base there, mm -hmm. and we're actively involved in the Middle East trying to figure out whether it'll be a Saudi regime or a Saudi slash Israeli regime or an Iranian regime or, or you know, some some combination of the both. Uh, if it's slash Israel, Israeli anything, then it'll be, like, even worse, I think. But it's... Than, than Saudi and Iran. I, I don't want... I Here's what I feel. I don't want... I, I don't know enough about foreign policy to sort of discern which one of these attacks is good and which one of these attacks is bad and that's because i mean we live you know not to get too lefty with it but we live in an empire right these are the dispatches from empire they're going to be you know they're going to frame things in terms of, well this is just the proportionate response right and yeah that sounds all well and good until you realize like why is this the proportionate response because We've been inside the Middle East and have bases everywhere there, and that and that's the only reason it's the proportionate response. Like it's only proportionate because we were there to be attacked in the first place, and and we destabilized the entire region by invading Iraq and Afghanistan. I don't so know why people don't ever put ourselves in the exact same situation. I feel like if I were to have, you know, like I mean, like just just any other country here on our soil, like with you know, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of soldiers constantly, you know, making sure we are democratic. I don't know, like that. How does that like not rub people the wrong way? Like I'm like I always just think like I I don't I this stuff to me it's so it's so reasonable to be like why are we there? Like think of if this was opposite you know like, put yourself in other people's shoes like this would not be okay if someone did this to us why do we do it to not and it's not just the middle east we're in every single like what like 300 different countries or something ridiculous i haven't seen like the numbers lately but we have our military all over the world everywhere yes yeah. well they will the the phrase is they will greet us as liberators we're liberating them that's that's the um, but you're right. They don't consider like, <laughs> like, I, I don't, don't know how that. happy any of us, none of us like Trump. None of us would have loved if President Xi invaded America and took Trump out and was like, I've liberated the, the liberals. We'd all be, <laughs> I think we'd all be freaked uh, freak the hell out <laughs> yeah. by that. But that's, 
basically what kind of happened in Afghanistan and Iraq. And we were very confused as to why they weren't grateful. <laughs> and then we got really racist about it. We were like, damn, those ignorant brown people. Why are they not more grateful <laughs> about how we freed them? I, again, I always do want to push back on, on the both sides conversation because uh, I always say if we had elected Clinton in 2016, we'd be looking at a very different world. And we would. Let uh, let me be clear. We would be looking at a very different world. We would be looking at a very different Supreme uh, Court. We would be looking at a very different response to this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. But perhaps something that we wouldn't be looking very differently would be our foreign policy. Um, our, you know, our constant foreign intervention in in other countries. Uh, this, for whatever reason, and also our our um, military spending would probably look exactly the same, um, if not maybe slightly different, but probably not dramatically different. Uh, I will. Uh, uh, sorry, Gus. Just to, sorry. I think though you would agree that if, for example, Al Gore had won in two thousand, the world would look entirely different from a foreign policy yeah. perspective. Yeah. So that's, we that's... can't. So even on foreign policy, I think you got to be careful about the both sizing. I, I think you're right, but it's it's also not enough. I, I I think the difference is not enough. Like I think the anti-military difference is uh, we should have a party that really goes out there and says we need to reduce military spending. We need to, and I know that there's libertarians that, that have done that in the past, but then they don't go with it. And uh, then the re also the rest of their ideas are garbage. So I can't really get behind them either. But uh, I wish the Democratic Party could have, and, you know, Bernie is there, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is there, and, and, and I'm hoping that grows within the party. But I think it's fair to at least say that, yeah, we don't have to both size it, but we should ask more like we, we should ask for more from from our the democratic party in terms of american intervention in other countries in terms of military spending um all of this costs money you know this this airstrike costs money uh and as you mentioned why is it so easy for us to swallow that but when it comes to helping people um some parliamentarian can just say no and that's it we're, we're we back off it just it it doesn't feel right um but I mean, yeah, you're, I, I don't know what what the right solution to it is, but it just doesn't feel right. There's a there's a I don't know if it's a meme or if it's something else, but I think we've all seen it. It says if the United States saw what was happening in the United States, the United States would invade the United States. And that's yeah. exactly <laughs> what is going on. I mean, I mean, that, it's not invading us, but that's. It's just I mean, insane what's going on. There was an attempted insurrection. <laughs> I mean, aside from that, I mean, like, no, entire... no, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's part of it, though. Why is that not part of it? If the United States what saw what was happening in the United States, they yeah. were there was an attempted insurrection. Yeah. That's pretty that's... significant. If we saw that in Iraq or in Afghanistan or in Syria, we we'd use that as an excuse that we need that the people need us. Uh, look at these people fighting against democracy. Some other force needs to come in and 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 do the right thing, because that's what we do. You know, we're always doing the right thing, uh, or we use that excuse to always go into a country, topple their government, and leave them in chaos for more than a decade. Hey, but we could finally get some domestic infrastructure spending, may maybe, with like the military <laughs> building uh, <laughs> bases in the United States and stuff as they uh, 
Uh, but I always have trouble with these stories because it is, again, I consider a lot of the stories just dispatches from Empire. You're not, you're not, you're not going to get, and I'm not saying that people are misleading you or lying, but the effect is not, you're not going to get the sort of objective reality of what's going on. And it happens, you know, in the, in, in, for domestic issues, we get, you know, a million different voices, but at least in domestic issues, we have somewhat of an independent frame of reference, which is we all live here. <laughs> like we all, you know, we're all aware of the domestic situation. Who the hell knows what's going on in Syria? Who knows what the motives behind militias we ally with, militias we're fighting with, militias that are just attacking us, attacking military bases? Um, not to say that I'm, you know, saying, oh, you know, these freedom fighters attacking all military bases but all i'm saying is it's hard to discern what the truth is when it's such a it's such a morass of of um you know noam chomsky called what the media did manufacturing consent i don't know if i would go that far uh but i do think that the media as part of the power structure of the united states tends to sort of message things in the same way as the powerful people in the united states who as we've discussed before kind of are okay with sort of the bipartisan uh management of empire through through you know proportional strikes and and policing trying to micromanage different conflicts that are going on in ways that you know if you think logically how how the hell do you micromanage an ongoing like an ongoing war you, you can't it's 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 kind of illusory um yeah, yeah that I think the only thing that I would say to like kind of pull back from this both sides um, thing that I'm going on right now is that all of this did happen under the Trump administration, but the only reason we didn't really talk about it too much was all the billion other crazy shit that happened under the, uh, the, the Trump administration, uh, destabilizing our society every single day. Um, so maybe now that we're actually getting back to this is kind of a sign that at least some things are going back to at least a semblance of normality um, under this administration where we can actually go back and, and, and talk about, oh yeah, you know, American intervention in other countries is rather problematic and, and it goes on, it continues. Um, and it's something that perhaps we should have a conversation about because we weren't having this conversation probably since the tail end of, of uh, the, I don't want to say the Iraq war because that's still going on, but uh, when when that whole situation really was out of hand. And I will say that it, it was harder to have the conversation too because Trump purposefully made changes to make it harder to get things like uh, information on civilian casualties and, and uh, missions overseas. Um, I do not know if Biden has made that easier to get, but uh, back to my dispatches of Empire point, even if Biden is more transparent about what's going on, it's kind of funny that yeah we'll praise him because he's more transparent uh, which is a fair thing to praise someone over but it's still like yeah it's more transparent about the civilians that we're killing overseas um, inadvertently yeah and i again i i think it's also even though i would rather not have these things happen um i think it's important for us to talk about it and for us to be critical even if it sometimes feels like that both sides situation because sometimes it's I, I don't even think you 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 can use the um, the excuse that we shouldn't we shouldn't use both sides because one party is is more extreme than the other. I mean that's true, but I'm thinking of like the situation with Andrew Cuomo right now in regards to his um, 
the, the news that came out that it, he may have been purposely um, withholding information in terms of nursing deaths uh, because he he feared uh, investigation from the Department of Justice, the Department of Justice under Trump at that time. But still, I mean, withholding information about COVID deaths uh, seems very sketchy to say the least. Um, and there's been also um, uh, sexual uh, accusations coming from one of his ex-aides uh, mm -hmm. that she was sexually uh, assaulted uh, while she worked for Andrew Cuomo. Um, again, these are allegations. So uh, you guys can read up on it. I only briefly uh, uh, read up on some, but it sounds very serious and, and should be taken very seriously. Uh, and when these things happen, it's I think it's important for us to kind of make sure we don't go down the route that a lot of Republicans do. Uh, because let's face it, you know, we talked about the Texas situation. Um, Greg Abbott is never going to resign over that, right? Even if it had been worse, he he wouldn't have resigned over that. But the thing is, is that when we when we see what uh, what's going on with with Andrew Cuomo, and let's say that some of this information does come out and it is truthful, and some of these allegations are perhaps corroborated in the future, uh, just a question to all of you, let, let, under this hypothetical this situation, which again, more information still needs to come out, but should Andrew Cuomo resign? Anyone I, can answer. I think that, I, I mean, I'm always going to be on the the bank of it doesn't matter like what party you're affiliated with. Like I never want to put like my my blinders on and just like pretend that they're amazing. Um, there absolutely needs to be investigation. There absolutely like if it if it comes out that this is this is real and this is serious, I absolutely do think that he should resign. So I will say that I I'm biased because I lived in New York for a couple of years. Um, I do not like Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> I thought he was poisonous to New York politics um, in the way that he ran it and ran it frequently to give uh, Republicans more power, outsized amount of power in the state than they earned or they had um, on an electoral basis. Um, and that was because he's, you know, he's kind of a big business sort of Democrat. So he likes the sort of big big business policies and to the extent he can cohere with Republicans around those and backpack the more leftist impulses of his party. That's what he does. Yeah, he's a corporate dem. Um, yeah, I supported Cynthia Nixon and corporate dem is kind of a, I mean, it's a little bit of an easy, stupid term sometimes, but no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just mean, thanks for calling no, me I, stupid. No, <laughs> I agree. He's a corporate dem. I agree. He's a corporate dem, but he's also, look, I don't want to discount the good things he's done too. Uh, for example, he pushed through through backroom deals, pushed through gay marriage in New York before it was a thing in mm -hmm. many other states. And he did a tremendous job doing that. So I don't want to discount the positive things that he did either. But uh, I, I never liked him that much. I supported Cynthia Nixon, and I think she would have done a better job. She may not have been as experienced, but I think she would have been a little bit uh, a less um deceptive or at least uh in, in sort of this old style politician way where he's get away with it by saying well i didn't want the doj to trump to get me in trouble and a lot of democrats unfortunately are okay with that excuse they're like okay yeah that works he's our guy and and they'll support yeah. him for that and i just think it's like well should he resign i think this should definitely be investigated and i think yeah probably he should especially if it if it looks anything like it, uh, if it turns out that it's anything like it looks like, at least, um, I I would say that, yes, he should resign, especially because, man, I, I just feel like it's easier to be it's it's a lot harder for the other side to both sides us when we actually deal with our issues. 
Yeah, well said. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Sam, you were going to say something. Please yeah, what I was going to say is this obviously does need to be investigated, and if it, you know, investigated further, but really, you should probably just, you know, kind of let it let it go and just get out of, just resign off the top. But what I was going to say about Greg Abbott, what's worse is that it's going to be when it comes election year, Republicans are going to forget all about what he did not do and just vote for him again. Which, that's, oh, that's what I was saying earlier about having your blinders on. I don't understand. Like I'm like, regardless of political party affiliation, what have you? Like we should be overly critical always. Yeah. We should ex- we should expect the best. Um, and so yes. like, and that's what kind of like irks me because I know that there are a lot of people on the left that's like, oh please, you know, like you know, like when it comes to things like Andrew Cuomo or criticizing Biden over Syria or just criticizing in general, they're like that the the opposite party may not have done the same or they didn't do the same in regards to like Trump and the leaders in the, the previous administration. Um, but why, like, why can't, why can't we expect better from our leaders regardless of what political party you're on? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I mean, we are like, you know, number one nation in the world. I think it's important to, <clears throat> I agree with you, Totes. I think that's well said. It, but And I think it's important to remember that they work for us. Right, we're their boss. Uh, we got them. Maybe we didn't vote for them, but the people got them elected. Um, and never forget that that they we do not work for them. And sometimes I think when when it comes to party loyalty, that's one of the issues where we start making excuses. And look, I'll be transparent. Uh, I don't like attacking Democrats. I wish Democrats were perfect. I wish I would never have to um, take them on in any way because every time Republicans are in power. They hurt me and they hurt people I love and I don't want them to be in power ever again. Yeah. So I would rather I would rather just always brag about how awesome Democrats are, but they're not always awesome. They're sometimes they're actually pretty terrible. Um, they're still as a whole, as a political party, um, they're far health as a party. The Democratic Party is far healthier uh, and more reasonable than the Republican Party. But that doesn't mean that um, you're always going to get. Uh, you know, wonderful human beings running our country. You might get an Andrew Cuomo. <clears throat> or even, you know, Joe Biden has said some previous uh, very, um, very, what's the right word for it? Uh, not politically correct or or not, just not forget politically correct, just not correct statements on on race, on gender, on, on social progress. And they're old statements, but, you know, they should always be called out. Um, when when they when they surface, I was trying to remember the last time. I remember I was pretty dis- distraught when everything came out about Al Franken too, because I I, I liked yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> and when everything yeah. was coming down, I was like, "Damn it! <laughs> like, why did you have to do this right now? Like, what? Not even right now, because I think it was years before that that like the allegations and stories came out. But I'm like, why? Like, like I expect more. Like, please, like, don't do this right now. And it was during the Trump administration, right? Am I not mistaken that? Al Franken ended up yes. resigning. I think it's in yeah. 2018. Yeah. yeah. So like, I don't know. I expect. Yeah, because because he was even seen as like, oh, maybe this is a good guy to like uh, put up put up against Trump because he's a previous comedian. He can kind of mock him and get under his skin, and and that came out. I do also think maybe there's some instances where Democrats are a little overcautious. 
Um, I, I think of that whole situation. I, I believe her name was Katie Hill, if I'm not mistaken, a congresswoman from, I believe, California, where her ex-boyfriend put out some revenge porn of her, uh, putting out sexually explicit oh, yes. photos of her mm -hmm. uh, completely um, uh, without consent, com uh, complete uh, privacy invasion. And because it was photos of her, she resigned. Um, and uh, some of that was, you know, she, it was being called upon from Democratic leadership. I believe in Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, was, was, I think was didn't she also I think she cheated on her husband. Like, that's also like what came out was that there were. But I'm like, how many times did yeah. <laughs> like why? Are, like, this isn't like you're a grown like woman. Like, it's like yeah, infidelity happens. Like, I, I don't I've never thought of that being a reason that someone isn't, you know. Yeah. I don't know, they can't do their job well, you know, just because they, I don't know, it's just a bunch of stuff. But yeah, that, that was a, sh a bit shocking to me. And I think that we were way too sensitive about that area. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong and I didn't, I'm not an expert in that topic, so. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it is possible to be a little too overly sensitive. But it's still good to hold politicians accountable um, for the right reasons. That's That's the main important thing. Um, it's a tightrope. It's you know, it's just walking a tightrope. So um, it's it's hard sometimes. Let's go ahead and move on to a slightly lighter topic. It's it's actually still a very serious topic, uh, but it's the topic that um, I invited you. We invited you to to come on board here, and we're very thankful that you're joining us. Again, you love movies you love going to movie theaters um obviously with this pandemic situation it has not been the same um <clears throat> many movie theaters closed uh, when when the uh, the situation got got pretty serious here in the united states many movie theaters closed uh, across the globe and many of them are still closed as of right now um, since the whole situation um a lot of movie um companies what do you call them not publishers, pr pr production companies. Production companies. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, they've, they've been announcing, you know, th this was going to happen regardless, I think, but they've been announcing their own streaming services. We have HBO Max. Uh, Paramount recently, or uh, just a couple of days ago, I think, uh, came out with their Paramount Plus streaming services. Uh, in the case of HBO Max, they uh, Warner Brothers, straight up set, you know, all of our big releases uh, for 2021 are going to, they're going to come out in theaters, but they're also going to come out in, and they're going to premiere in our streaming services as well. So movies like Mortal Kombat, movies like King Kong versus Godzilla, if that's the name of that movie. Uh, Wonder Dune. Woman 1984 that recently yeah. came out, same thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. Wonder Woman 1984 was the first one that really uh, started that. Uh, Dune, which is a movie I'm, I'm looking forward to, is going to come out in, and you know, it's going to also premiere streaming services. So that starts a whole conversation because obviously there's this pandemic going on and it's not going to be going on forever. Eventually, with the vaccinations, you know, hopefully at least, uh, we're all going to return to a position where we can more or less live our lives like we used to, more or less, right? However, uh, once these uh, streaming services are offering these kinds of, of uh, things where it's like, hey, movies are going to start premiering and, and streaming services, how do you guys think this is going to affect 
the movie industry, um, movie theaters as a whole, like, is this just temporary? Is this just something that uh, companies are going to do now while there's a pandemic? Or can you put this genie back into a bottle or not? Uh, is this something that they're going to start doing forever? And people are only going to go to movie theaters just once in a while. And most of the time, they're going to watch movies at home because just just from my perspective, I don't want to see the movie industry grow away. I, I understand that there's jobs here. Uh, I don't want people losing their jobs. But I have, and I'll be fully honest, I have thought or entertained the idea that maybe I'm just never going to go back to a movie theater ever again. If, if they're offering me like these premieres at home, uh, I, maybe I'll just watch them on my TV with a nice pair of headphones. Um, and that's it. But... <laughs> Am I am I losing out? Or am I doing something wrong? Like, what do you guys think is 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 the future of movies? Totes, you're a guest. We brought you here. Please, you have the floor. Well, so to give a little bit of context, when pre-COVID, I would go to the movies every single week, and um, and sometimes twice a week. Like, I was seeing the latest movie, even if it was even if it was a bad movie, <laughs> like I was going to see it in theaters because I was going to the movies that often. Um, it was very rare um, that I didn't see movies in theater. Um, I think it, it, I think it's a very unique experience. I think that filmmakers, whenever they make movies, most of the time they make it for the theater setting. And just in general, it does cost a lot of money. Um, and I think that there are, I'll just say like misbehaviors that happen in my mind that when you watch a movie at home, like I've always been really blessed I'll say with having a really nice audience I don't have too many teenagers that are like yelling and screaming in movie theaters but I do have you know I'll have teenagers here at home you know my family looking at their phone or on TikTok or something whenever we're watching a movie now there is a different experience um, from going to a theater than watching at home for me I think one is far superior than the other uh, that's just me um but I mean, we've seen a massive impact in terms of like jobs, uh, major job loss, and not even at the theater level. But um, I think that there was just a there was just an update recently about how many hundreds of thousands of people were out of jobs in the film industry in terms of like production, like losing losing their jobs in terms of costumes. There's a lot less. There was less people on set, so that meant less people to make that set or you know less people getting makeup means less makeup artists having jobs to to do makeup like there's a lot that affected um the the film industry with COVID 19 it's not and it, at the local level and internationally um i don't think mm -hmm. theaters are going away and i think they'll be here for a long time um just like drive drive-in movie theaters i think you know whenever theaters were really popular people were worried about the drive-in movie theater but i don't know if they're in your area but i know that we have several in our area the drive-in movie theater it's a novelty experience it still exists today uh, maybe not as frequently and as obviously as it was before but i don't think theaters are going away i just think that we're going to see a major major downturn in terms of like how how many theaters like instead of there being you know i don't know like in houston or in major metroplexes like there's a theater on every corner it feels like like you can i can choose you know pre-covid i could choose six different theaters to go to within a 15 minute um you know drive like there's so many theaters to choose from um and already a good amount almost half of them have closed and they have closed for good in my area and i live in a major major metroplex um so i think we'll see less theaters i don't think they're going away um i just think that we're not it's not going to be able to sustain themselves we can't we won't be able to have as many 
And so maybe like in cities where there's not as high of a population, such as the city where I grew up in, there was only like, how many theaters did we have? I don't know, like one on our side of town and like maybe three in the entire city. <laughs> there wasn't yeah. a lot of theaters where we grew up and there is more now. And I think you'll see, we, we might see a shift of less theaters, less because the economy won't be able to sustain it if less people are going. That's just what I think. So, but I'm, I'm curious about you all. Um, you know, like I've gone to the movie theaters since COVID um, has happened. I've uh, been fortunate enough that going to the movies is in my budget. I budget for it every single year. Um, I budget for it monthly on a pretty high basis since it is one of my hobbies. Uh, so I have gotten to go and rent a theater, you know, by myself. I've been able to see Tenet. Um, I've been able to, I can't remember the other movie that I've seen. You know, like, it's how just- was, How was Tenet? Was it good? <laughs> Tenet says it's a trip. I, you need is to it? watch that movie like three times before you <laughs> truly understand it. I think the acting was phenomenal but like oh man <laughs> you want to be like on drugs or something <laughs> to enjoy that movie. um but yeah i mean it's it, it's but it was so it's so it was so weird going to the theater i will say you know like because it's so empty and it's so you like you don't have like kids like yelling at the you know, like in the arcade area like getting so excited the arcade area is closed it's very it feels like you're going into a doctor's office like that's how i relate the the culture of going to a theater right now like it's like mm. very like clean it's you smell like the cleaning products you know like it's you see yeah, everyone's in line everyone's very quiet it's it's not it's not like how it used to be <laughs> i so i was not as obsessed with movies as uh totes was but i uh i i understand i i fully understand this whole transcendent experience of of seeing movies and transporting you and how it does cut off the outside world in ways that the home experience sometimes can emulate but often cannot <clears throat> and i do think i i you know, there was a period there when uh, what was it called? Movie Movie Pass was a thing where I literally saw every single movie that came out that year, and it was an amazing, you know, good, bad, and ugly. And I saw stuff that I would never have seen before, and it was just an amazing year because um, <clears throat> I was able to do that. But um, so it is with a bit with a great deal of sadness that I have to say that I think it's sort of I think the movie theater industry is kind of at its. I'm very pessimistic about what happens from here. I think it's, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of closures and consolidations in the coming years as people try to dig themselves out of the hole created by COVID. And uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. And I think we're going to see bankruptcies and I think we're going to see restructuring and I think we're going to see, you know, uh, yeah, like like I said, consolidations, theaters are probably going to get shuttered and and different companies are probably going to stay in the same theaters. We probably will have a theater system in the end, but it'll probably be very different than what exists right now is my prediction. I, I think the market will be restructured. And I think one of the things I think it will do that will be very interesting is it's sort of when things are being released in the home simultaneously, it puts these massive billion dollar AAA features on the same level as like an indie movie or a netflix movie that had like you know creative idea but maybe not very mu much money you know both of those are kind of the same in terms of uh, maybe not exactly the same in terms of how they're promoted and stuff but the actual like uh 
you know, hump to see them is exactly the same. You know, you're not, you're not, one is not being forced in your eyeballs any more than the other one. So, so I, I will say that is probably a positive aspect of this and that it will maybe, uh, you know, make the market a little more meritocratic because it'll be a little bit more about how good these movies are and not which ones were able to capture, you know, the zeitgeist and the massive marketing budgets, you know? You see, that's what I'm more worried about is that, you know, so I'm, I'm, it's not that I would disagree with you. It's just like, I agree with you. And also don't know if it's actually going to play out that way because one of my biggest concerns and biggest oh, worries, yeah, it, it could lead to the proliferation of crap too. <laughs> yes. Or just like only the high budget production companies or only only disney is con- you know like, you know like it's it's like the the big the big guys are the ones that are going to be able to have their movies in movie theaters because they're the only ones that can afford to to do so um i'm i am absolutely concerned and so it's, it's actually so, it sort of scoops out the middle you get your yeah. big productions and your little crappy but nothing all the middle all the like romantic comedies maybe will, will go away because they're they're not uh and it's not, but it's not even romantic comedies, you know, like it's, I, even, I was just trying to think of like a middling sort of, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, I actually, let's just talk about like the horror genre, because that usually has the smallest budget out of any movies, because most of the time they're unpopular. And, you know, because most people don't like the horror genre. Um, but they will, you know, maybe more of them will will be in theaters than not. Already, like over the years, I had noticed, and like I think, you know, it might be worth like to do a, a paper investigation. But I remember every year around Halloween, I'd get so excited about watching scary movies in the theater. But every year, it felt like less and less scary movies were coming, you know, like less and less horror movies were coming out. And there was only like one or two major ones during the Halloween season. And um, and I'm just like because, but overall, it's because the genre is not very popular people don't like it and so and but it's not even just horror i'll say like the indie film um tom hanks said something really really recently that like really got to me uh because he just had um a movie that came out which is this is the one that i had forgotten that i'd seen in theaters called news of the world have you all heard of the movie i've heard of it i've seen like the previous the trailers for it yeah, so I mean, this was like a Tom Hanks movie. So to my in my mind, I I'm used to seeing things advertised more, and I felt like this wasn't advertised as much. But it was a you know a smaller you know you know direct you know not as well known, and yeah, I just didn't get as much advertising as I was used to. But it did come out in the theater, um, and one of the things that he said is that you know you I he thinks there will always be a place for Marvel. There will always be a place for Disney movies. Like those will always be in the theater and people will probably always go see them in the theater. Um, like, but his movie, like news of the world, which is, you know, is very, is much more like a quiet movie, more like more in your thoughts kind of movie, uh, than not like people probably won't spend money. You know, like you probably don't want to spend $40 to go see that, that movie with popcorn and a drink. Like you'll probably just maybe watch it at home. Maybe not. Overall, like people might just not consume it. You know, like that, and that's like to me is like the biggest worry is that you know, like if you have um, Hulu and Netflix and uh, Disney Plus and like Amazon Prime, all the other streaming services, and you have all of these like uh, like everyone's talking about this movie, you may not watch that amazing movie that will hit you a little bit differently, but doesn't have as much money thrown at it. Um, isn't necessarily exciting, but 
it's impactful, you know, like in, in a different sense. And that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about those movies. Um, even like Parasite, which is like, was like the number one movie of 2019. Um, I don't know if like, if, if people are honest with themselves, like would they have watched that movie like at home? Like there have been amazing, amazing Korean movies that have come out that no, no one talks about here in the United States. Um, but Parasite, did a good job of making sure they went to theater you know like they they did a lot to to go into be at major theaters and so will they be able to like well i don't know like that that's my biggest worry is that like you'll like i think we'll always see the onwards the mulans um in the movie theater but will we see like the parasites and use of the worlds or those kinds of movies in the theater and those those are my favorite kinds of movies to go see in the movie theaters. Like those not as well known movies. I'd love to go see those movies that make you think and that make that are indie and that I I mean okay. Aside from Star Wars probably, I probably wouldn't watch I mean I probably wouldn't go to the movies to watch a Marvel movie or Unless it was with my family or friends, but I probably watch that at home. Honestly, I'm the I'm the odd one out on that one. But like, I go to the movies to see movies that that aren't that are indie, basically. You know, that don't always have the biggest budget. But like, there's this one movie that I really loved for a very long time, but um, it had Kevin Spacey, in it, and then I just kind of stopped caring about it but it was called moon and i saw that in the movies and i went to see that on a whim and it was one of my favorite movies for one of the longest times i'd love to go to movies with with those kind of movies but um i think the problem with the streaming service is that guys you said earlier can it be put can the theaters be put back in the bottle i don't think it can with paramount coming out and with it's pretty much what's gonna happen and i hate to see this happen What's going to happen is that you're going to have to pay uh, like five bucks, ten bucks for every single movie theater or not movie theater, um, every single like MGM or New Line Cinema. You're going to have to pay for that. You're going to have to pay for for uh, for Paramount. You're going to have to pay for every single one of them. And that's just. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I... that's the other side. Um you know, in terms of cost efficiency, that yes, movie theaters are expensive. Or going to the movie theater can be a costly thing, if especially if you do it often or if you do it with family. But then on the other side, it's like in order to watch all these movies uh, and have access to them, if this is indeed the future, it's via streaming. It's a lot of streaming services, and some of them cost like fifteen dollars a month. And uh, you know, there's HBO Max, there's Netflix, there's Disney Plus, there's Paramount Plus, there's uh, Peacock. There's uh, it goes on and on and on. It's like, uh, what are you going to just spend one hundred and fifty dollars or more in, in streaming services every month just so you can get access to all the movies? Or you're going like to make sacrifices? Movies, there's, there's Shutter, <laughs> and you can pay ten dollars <laughs> yeah. a month for Shutter. Crackle. Uh, uh, you Go know, ahead, one, of those, one of the things that, and I'm sure this is like such like a first world problem kind of complaint, but um, ironically enough, I am one of those people that I get very daunted by um, over choice. Like it's when I have too many, too many options to choose from, it usually makes me choose no option. Um, you know, I'm not the kind of person that goes shop 
at H&M or major department stores, even pre-COVID, because there's too many options for clothes and it overwhelms me. And then I just end up buying no clothes. And that, that's the same way I feel about streaming and movies. Like it, one of the things that I love about the movie theater and why we went every single week is that I, I, want, I want to be there and have that experience. But it was also so lovely on the fact that there's only like seven options to choose from and every you know and you can always depend on the fact that there was a new movie coming out every single week you know and so like if i had already seen the movies uh, most of the movies that were out then i really had like two or three options to choose from every single week like two you know two or three options of major movies to come i didn't have to like you know like go and you know scroll through hundreds of movies and hundreds of series and i'm just like no like it was simple is small choices and that's that's something that I really enjoy. Like as someone who is overly anxious on too much choice, I love the fact that I could, I, I, it was normal. It was consistent. I could depend on a new movie coming out every week and I didn't have to go and scroll through hundreds of one. So I will never be the person that has every single streaming service. Like if there's a movie that I really want to watch and it's only available on streaming, I will rent it um, or I will get that streaming service for a month and then probably cancel it. But I love not having too much choice. I don't have all the streaming services right now just for that matter because I, I don't utilize them. I don't watch I can't, I can't keep up with all of it. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And it's, it's easy for us to get lost. And if it's easy for somebody like you, uh, that's, that loves movies to just get overwhelmed, um, you know, it can be, it can be that easy for, for lots of people. And it makes it that much harder for, as you mentioned, smaller movies, more personal movies, more intimate movies to stand out and really be watched and consumed by, by people. If it's just solely depended on on streaming services I, I mean i don't i know i said that maybe i'll never go to a movie theater again and i i don't want to also come off though as a, as i hate the movie theater experience because i don't i actually agree with you totes i think if you compare one or the other like watching movie at home and watching movie at a movie theater watching a movie at home is never going to compare it's never going to be you could even have a massive tv a great surround system it's just never going to compare to that movie going experience uh and it's not only just the technical and the audio level it's also kind of the memories that you create uh one of my favorite memories as a as a person as a human being is going with all my friends including two people including Sam and Daniel in this podcast going to see uh the fellowship of the ring almost 20 years ago guys i i'm sorry we're i'm aging all of us here except for totes uh but almost 20 years ago um to 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 the day we we went to see the fellowship of the ring together and we i remember like how we came out just giddy with excitement just like so enthusiastic like we like we didn't even know what we just watched we were just we were just like uh, like talking enthusiastically just sharing thoughts and ideas like how how masterful of a movie it was as you know as teenagers our first year in high school those those are the type of memories that uh, you know movie theaters have created um over at least for me over over decades and it's hard to see that go i i, I don't say it like it like gleefully like oh i'm never going to a movie theater ever again like i i it actually kind of pains me to 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 even think about that it may not, you know, I may go to a movie theater once, one time, and I feel like there's herd immunity. And, yeah, uh, I, I kind of like, movie. I've already decided I'm going to take you to the movie theater the next time Thanks. we're together. <laughs> when all this is that. over and I'm able to be with you, like, I'm never going to hear you say that. Like, <laughs> you're going to come yeah. with me then. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to let it go. It's, it's just, you know, 
I feel like COVID-19 may have just been an accelerator. Uh, you know, we already saw streaming services really be prominent. Uh, we saw them. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I, I think uh, Roma, the movie Roma, should have won Best Picture in 2018. And I think oh, they yeah. did my boy dirty, Alfonso Cuaron, and didn't didn't nominate that movie because it was on Netflix. And like the Hollywood... Yeah, I love that movie, and uh, and they didn't want to they didn't want to pick a Netflix movie to to represent them. Um, again, that's just my little conspiracy theory. Uh, but I think that this was just this was a long time coming, and then COVID hit, and I'm just not certain how movie theaters can crawl back. But even with my pessimism, I'll be honest. I I hope somehow, some way, they do. What I really don't want to see is like movie theaters owned by Disney. Or movie theaters owned by Netflix, and like, and if you have a Netflix subscription, you'll get five dollars off popcorn or something like that. Like, Literally, I don't that's see that. <laughs> that makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> that idea, uh, like, I, of course, that's uh, that would be their dream, though. Like, oh, yay! What a show of oh, capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> I think what's gonna eventually happen is that um, no family can pay for every single movie subscription, or or. Um, or production subscription for for their family. So eventually, there are people. I think it's going to be more. Um, it's not going to mean as much money for for movie companies or for Hollywood companies as going to the movie theater. I think that's what's going to happen. And then here's my little hopeful conspiracy theory: is that when there's too many um, uh, streaming services to pay for, people like why don't we just go to like a place where they show a movie and we can all get food together and we don't have to pay like $150 wow. for all these different things. <laughs> that that sounds like the future to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's go ahead and end the episode, guys. I know we went a little long, but I, I think this was a great episode. We really covered a lot of ground. Uh, Totes, thank you so much for coming back. Again, we love ha having you here regardless of the topic, but thank you for sharing your, your movie expertise. Thanks, you guys. This is so fun. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Gus. Sam, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Gus. And to our listeners, thank you so much again for joining us for another episode of Friendly Reminder. We'll see you next week. And as a wise man once said, I'll see you at the movies. <laughs>